0: America. Curl up, baby. Curl up tight. Curl
1: Welcome to a special edition of Nocturnal Journal here on WGN in Chicago. And we're so honored to have in the studio Mr. Bernard Fowler, singer-songwriter-producer on the road with the Rolling Stones.
0: Dave, what's up, baby?
1: Thanks thanks for coming in. Oh,
0: thank you for having me. I know
1: you're a busy guy. Thank you for having me. But I really, really wanted to talk about that track and that record. It's the best Rolling Stones record I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, I love that. <laughs> Inside Out on Rhyme and Reason Records. Inside uh, Out. Really, really. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about what the listeners just heard there.
0: Okay, that was uh, uh, Undercover of the Night by. The Rolling Stones, uh, on the new record Inside Out. And there's a a story behind this song. Uh, well, when I, uh, decided to do the spoken word record, uh, I knew I would do this track. And so what you didn't hear at the beginning of this track, there's this dialogue with a woman speaking in Spanish. And, um, After I laid the track, I called Carmine Rojas, bass player, Uh from David Bowie and Rod Stewart. I called Carmine. I said, Carmine, I need a girl to come and read this dialogue that I wrote. So he said, okay. He calls back and he says, okay, she's on her way. I'll meet you down there. He comes. She's there. I give her the dialogue and I say, I want you to read this in Spanish. And she seems a bit bit apprehensive. And she says, I don't want to do one favor one side or the other. Come to find out that she was brought up during the war in Nicaragua. Oh, really? Her family was caught in the middle of it, so she didn't want to favor one side or the other. So when you do get to hear the beginning of this track, you will hear her reading this dialogue. She's not an actress. She's not a singer. She's never been in in a studio in her life. but. Even though if you don't speak Spanish, you can hear the passion in her deliverance of this dialogue. And while she was doing it, she started to cry. So it was a really strong moment for me.
1: How did you get the idea for this? I mean, and, and you did. You turned these songs that we're going to get into this in a little bit, spoken Ooh. word and stuff. But you did. You turned them inside out and stripped them down. And Well, when I
0: was uh, finishing up my last solo album called The Bora* as always, whenever I'm finishing up a project, I start thinking about the next one. And there were a few ideas I wanted to do, but the spoken word thing just kept coming up. It kept coming up, and I thought, you know what? I have to do this. And you know, uh, at rehearsal, you know, during uh Lix tour, I was on stage practicing my kunga, and you know, somebody yelled out a song, and I started to do it in a spoken word, and every all the guys on stage looked at me, and they kind of smiled. And Mick says, Bernard, I've heard Rolling Stones songs done many ways. He said, but I've never heard it like that. And I said, well, when the tour is over, I'm going to cut it.
1: He said, cool, you should. You go back. Was it, was that the... I mean, you went back with him. Was that the She's the Boss tour? Was that 85? She's the Boss tour. And before that, She's the Boss
0: record. Uh-huh. Right. Record. I... um. You know, I was on the road with Herbie Hancock, got a call from Bill Laswell. Come to London, flew to London, didn't know why I was flying to London. He took me to a house. I walked in the house. There was a guy sitting with a guitar. I could only see his back. Bill says, hey, man, this is Bernard Fowler. This is the guy I've been telling you about. And he leaves the room. The cat turns around. It's Mick Jagger. So
1: I'm I'm in shock. And, you know, I've been hanging around ever since. <laughs> so, I mean, they've they've heard it. What's uh, what's their feeling on it? They've heard the tracks and stuff?
0: Well, I know Keith. Keith's heard it. Um, I think uh, a journalist from Rolling Stone magazine said that he asked Keith about it, and Keith said he loved it. When I played it for Keith in a very rough state, he kind of looked at me and said, damn, Fowler, you went deep. Yeah. You know, Mick, uh, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I, I just gave it to Mick at rehearsal, so I'm sure if he's not heard it he will, soon. he will soon. Now
1: you're going to be here in Chicago on yes. your own yes. Saturday night, June 22nd at 8:30 at Martyrs. That's right. And that would be at 3855 North Lincoln Avenue. So will people be hearing songs from uh, from the record? Yes, we will I will be playing uh, some new
0: songs from the new record um and uh, well it's a, it's kind of a double Double CD release party, although it's been released already. Yeah, Tim Reese has a new record coming out, so you know we'll we'll perform some stuff from his new record, Plays with some the stuff as from, well yeah. yes, no. some stuff from my new record, and we have all local cats playing. We have a cat, uh, Gregory Myret. He's from New York on harp. Steve Million on keys. Eric Hotchberger on bass. Ernie Adams on drums. Bob Palmieri on guitar. Jose Rendon percussion, Ruben, Ruben's playing percussion. Um,
1: uh, everybody likes Geraldo's to, playing percussion. Everybody likes to say and, and special guests and special <laughs> guests. I had I had to I had to name I had to give the names. Though. I just had but to. Eight thirty, and that's on June twenty second. This coming Saturday night at Martyrs thirty eight fifty five North Lincoln. So. um... You Talk about the influence of people like The Last Poets and, and, and the spoken word and, and putting this together. Well, you know, growing
0: up in Queensbridge yeah. Projects, I grew up in Queensbridge Projects in New York. That's probably made famous by Brother Nas, world-famous rapper. Um, you know, I grew up in a predominantly black and Puerto Rican neighborhood. So I grew up listening to salsa mm-hmm. and soul music. And, you know, I... I heard drums, you know, you know, Hispanic brothers and brothers played drums in the neighborhood all day, all night. Last poets. My brother bought those records home. My older brother bought those records home. So I learned those records and listened to them because of him. And so that was a part of, you know, my musical history, you know, as well as Gil Scott Heron, Nikki Giovanni, Hamir Baraka, you know, there was a television show called Soul, and they had you know all these poets on that. You know, we watch religiously, so it's all a part of my uh, my musical heritage. And that's a
1: template, obviously a template for this. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and and Mick had seen uh, the poets once in London. Was yeah. it in an apartment or a loft yeah, or when,
0: something? Uh, when. Uh, When, uh, you know, he was when he, you know, like I said, he said, Bernard, I've heard, you know, the uh, stone songs many ways, but never like this. And we started talking and he said, you know, I saw the last poets. And I'm like, really? He said, yeah. And uh, apparently someone hired the last poets during that time to come to London and he saw them perform in someone's house. And I was like, wow, how cool is that? Up front and personal. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. cool.
1: Felipe Luciano, talk oh, about talk man. about him. He was an early, he was an early version. Yes, yeah. he
0: was an early version of the poets. And um, and I was uh, I was watching TV. I think it was Deaf Poetry Jam. And he came on, and he did a piece called Hibato. And the hair on my arm stood up, and that was another confirmation that I needed to do the spoken word record. Do you
1: know any of that off the top of your head? No, I That's wish not, I yeah, did. Y'all, oh, I thought you were going to jump my into my it.
0: <laughs> God. It's so powerful. If you ever get a chance, you can YouTube it. You can see it. And I mean, it is so powerful. And like I said, when I heard him do that, I had to do this record. And as a matter of fact, I gave a special thanks to him on the record.
1: Yeah, yeah. How'd you pick the songs for this record?
0: You know, um, I did not, and I was not going to do the popular songs. Uh Uh, Plus, the popular songs wouldn't work anyway. So I went into uh, the bookshelf in my house and took out the songbook and started reading started reading lyrics the only song that i knew i would record was undercover of the night because that's a strong lyric already yeah so i went into the songbook to look for strong lyrics and as i'm reading if the lyric was strong okay i'm gonna try that one i'm gonna try that one i'm gonna try that and um i think maybe four of the songs are from the album undercover of the night it just happened that way it was not planned The criteria was strong lyric content.
1: Yeah. So it wasn't really like you weren't going to go into like grooves of like Mishu or anything like that. It had to be about lyrics. It had to be about lyrics. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because, you know, I had already made a conscious decision that I would, you know, it would be um, percussion driven. Right. And um, most of it is there's maybe three tracks on there with a full rhythm section. And that's something that just evolved as I was, you know, creating the record. Like a thunderclap, feel the prickles running up and down your back. Why so divine, the pain of love? You have to work for it, stay with it, pay for it, bust your ass, lie for it, cheat for it, forget about your past. Why so divine? Welcome back. The pain of love. It's
1: a Nocturnal Journal. I'm Dave Hochstra. We're here with Bernard Fowler. Uh, the drums got me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is from the record Inside Out, Rhyme and Reason Records. Um, who all plays on this? Uh, Steve Jordan on percussion. Talk about the staff. Man,
0: I got, I got some bad cats playing on this record. Well, you know, yes, yeah, Steve Jordan is playing drums. Percussion is Walfredo Reyes Jr., Lenny Castro, um, Munyongo Jackson, Uh, Vince Wilburn's playing drums, Uh, George Evans is playing guitar, Ray Parker Jr. is playing guitar, Uh Ray Parker Jr., (laughs) when you need rhythm, who you gonna call? Ray Parker Jr., Jimmy Ripp's playing guitar, Michael Bearden is playing piano, Uh, Mike Garson is playing piano. Um, Ron Jublia is playing sax. Tim Reese, who I'm playing yeah. with on the twenty seconds, is playing sax. And on trumpet, we have the man, Keon Harold, is playing trumpet.
1: The record's been out a while, about two, three months maybe. Um, how's it found its way i mean is it does it how does it work now i mean what's the audience is it is it going to a hip hop audience is it going to a rock and roll audience is it going to a latin audience is it all over i mean you know
0: man it's going to a good music audience yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. that's where it's going
0: uh i think it's going everywhere and you know the res- i i'm just blown away by the response of it it's when i made the record i think i said this to you earlier they were either people were either going to dig it or they were going to hate it especially hardcore Stones fans and they're all loving it. And I think that it's it's showing that I think Jagger Richards are way underrated as songwriters. I think people got so wrapped up in the riffs and the grooves and shaking their behinds that
1: they heard it, but they didn't really hear it. And now they get to really hear it. You know, um, can you give them some advice from me here at WGN when you talk to Mick and Keith that they should at Soldier Field they should play this as walking music. Hey Wait, man, play it nice and loud. You know,
0: it's isn't fun- that a great idea? It's funny you should say that because in, in the rehearsal I said I, I said I said to Mick I said Hey Mick, can I put this on the uh, on the the you know. The music, you know, before the show? Sure. He said, absolutely. Seriously. Seriously. It would work it would work perfectly. It would work perfectly. So yes, it will be it will be Especially for like a summer tour and stuff. It will be on that playlist. Well good for you.
1: Yeah, man. See how smart I am? Um, you told me before that, uh, talk about this. I mean, the first album your dad gave you was 12 by five.
0: First album my father gave me was 12 by five. And don't ask me why till this day. I have no idea. He came home and said, burn out here. I played the grooves off it. And you know, it's funny. A lot, a lot of little things have been, have happened to me over my lifetime, <laughs> That, you know, it just made sense that I ended up, you know, hanging out
1: with the cats for so long. What struck you about that record? If you go back to when you were young.
0: Time <laughs> is on my side.
1: Yes, it is. That's yeah. that's what struck me. Yeah, yeah. You know some of that was recorded here at Chess. No yeah, joke. Yeah. Yeah, they got a they got a they've been on the show a couple of weeks ago. They've got an exhibit. I think there's an exhibit. Yeah, down I, at the Chess Studio. I heard about that. And it's uh of when the Stones were here in 64 doing that. I heard some, about some that. Pictures you've never seen before. Yeah, I might want to go. Yeah, you should check it out. And if you haven't seen the studio, you should check out the studio. Mm-hmm. It's, you go upstairs and it, you can you can get the vibe of what it was like to record there. Right. It's really really right. really, really great. <laughs> Very cool. Um, So do you want to set up, uh, we'll just set up a Sympathy for the Devil. Why don't you talk about that and how you...
0: Sympathy for the Devil. Well, you know, as I said, I didn't want to do any popular songs. And I didn't. But I ran out of time and I ran out of money. And Sympathy for the Devil just made sense because, again, a strong lyric content. And it was easy to do. It's easy to do. I didn't change a... The only thing that I changed was i didn't use a lot of music. I kept the piano chords and kept the rhythm of the of the percussion and just did my spoken word thing
1: on it. okay, let's hear some of uh, sympathy for the devil.
0: Introduce myself I'm a man of wealth And taste I've been around For many long, long years Stole many a man's soul And faith I was around When Jesus Christ Had his moment Of doubt and pain Made damn sure that Pilate Washed his hands and sealed his fate Pleased to meet you I hope you guessed my name But what's puzzling you Is just the nature of my game When I saw that it was time for a change Killed the czar and his ministers While Anastasia screams in vain I wrote
1: a This is a talk uh, talk radio station, but we should just listen to this list stuff oh, uh, all afternoon. <laughs> Be my guest. <laughs> the rhythms, I mean, you know, I've been, I told you I listened to the record again last night and stuff. Those rhythms are just so strong. The percussion. The rhythms
0: are so that's what, strong. That's yeah. Walfredo Reyes and Lenny Castro and Steve Jordan, obviously, playing drums. And I, I forgot somebody. On snare, brushes is the great. Clayton Cameron, Uh used to play with Tony Bennett, Sammy Davis Jr. That's him. He's playing brushes on all of that stuff. How'd you get him? You know what? When Steve, you know, I sent Steve, uh, he he called me one day, said, man, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm working on this thing. He said, send me a taste. I sent him a song. He called me back and said, yo, man, I got to play on that. I said, well, when you're in town, call me. Sure enough, he called. He said, yo, man, I'm coming over. He comes to the studio. And he brings Clayton with him, and I'm like, "Well, there's only one kid." He said, "No, Clayton's going to play brushes," and it just worked beautifully. Great. Beautifully, talk, I'm telling you, I was blessed on this record.
1: Talk about your uh, your path into music. Again, go back to when you were growing up, and um, what your folks doing. What was was there music around the house? What was uh, how did you grow into this? There was an Emerson Hi-Fi. Yeah,
0: the one. Emerson, high five. And when you pulled the knob to turn it on, the red light came on. But, you know, I'm I, I think um, I learned a lot of stuff or I, I my appreciation comes from, you know, my mother putting me to bed and turning the radio on. And every every nap had a different radio station. But, you know, I grew up playing their records, their old blues records their gospel records, you know, their soul records. That's what I grew up listening to, as well as, you know, the stuff that I gr- heard in the neighborhood, which was Southside, you know. During the day, we had AMF, AM radio with Frankie Crocker on. Mm-hmm. And when that, when that show went off, Symphony Sid came on. So, you know, it's, I was right in the middle of it.
1: And what was your first singing experience? My
0: first singing experience, well, you know, I wanted to be a jock. I played a lot of ball growing up, and after a, a game one day, you know, me and the uh, me and the fellas underage, drinking beer, some guy heard me singing and said, hey, man, uh, you should come audition for my band, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I went, a week later, I was in the recording studio. I got kicked off the basketball team for singing with the band, <laughs> and so I was kind of forced into it, and... Um, You know, my next experience after that first band was, uh, I believe it was the New York City Peach Boys.
1: Okay. The New York City Peach Boys, um, you know, some guys... Talk about them. Give us a one-on-one on on them for people who don't know them. And we're going to play a track here. New York City
0: Peach Boys, a lot of people, including myself, would say that New York City Peach Boys started garage or house music. It was the first band to have a DJ part of it. And that DJ was the first celebrity DJ by the name of Larry LeVan, who he wasn't just the first celebrity DJ. I mean, he was the first DJ that mixed records for record companies, you know, um, uh, stations would play his playlist. Everybody. Everybody. Wanted to do what Larry was doing. He was the first. He was the first. And so, uh, me and some of the uh, guys from that very first band that I had, but was totally clips, by the way, uh, we put together this band called the Peach Boys. And we shopped, uh, before we were the Peach Boys, we were called Snatch. <laughs> and the first, and we did, we had a single on Millennium Records called, we did a version of Another Brick in the Wall. Oh, did you? With producer Jeffrey Chung. That died. We became the Peach Boys and we sought out Larry. And uh, we, it took some convincing, but Larry took to us.
1: And where all did you play? Where I'm going with this is talk about the venues you played, where your where your home base was, and, and the end, end question to that is what did that what was the community like? What was what did it do in terms of music as community, dealing with being with other people, getting other ideas? So home, yeah. talk about the environment. Home for the New York City Peach Boys was
0: the Paradise Garage. The Paradise Garage was like a church for dance music. It opened, I think, uh, Friday and Saturday. Friday was supposedly straight night. Saturday was gay night. But everybody partied together anyway. Uh-huh. And I'm talking about party and dance and party and dance. And they didn't sell any alcohol, there was no alcohol allowed in the place. But people would dance till we, till, till the next afternoon. Next afternoon, and and during that time, you know, I think one of the first gigs we ever did was here in Chicago, and where I met Frankie Knuckles Frankie the first time. I yeah. met Frankie Knuckles. How'd you meet him at? Um, He came by the hotel we were staying at. And uh, they, I forgot the name of the club. It's been so long, but uh, it was a club that Frankie was spending at. And uh, we played at that club here. We did... We did you know, we played you know some spots in Florida. We 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 didn't play a a lot, but you know, we played at most of the popular you know dance spots at the time. It was a really special time. You know, the the height of dance music. Did rock people come and see you? Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's world's... where I met I met Mick the first time at Paradise Garage. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All kinds of people. I mean, see. That was the thing about Larry. Larry didn't just play dance music. It, it, it wasn't uncommon for Larry to, right in the middle to, to, to throw, on, throw in the who. Eminence yeah, uh-huh. front, it's a put on. Yeah. He was way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. And he had he, he had really good taste in music. It wasn't all about dance music for him. It was about music. And he played it. So you want to set up this track? We're going to play a Peach Boy song. This is the... Don't uh, Make Me Wait. This is my first hit record. Don't Make Me Wait. Written by myself. Produced by the Peach Boys and Larry LeVay. Okay.
1: You want to just talk through this? Listen to how it's building. Don't okay. the start screaming at the Paradise World. They start
0: screaming, light, light. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, We can, let, Let's talk through this a little bit. Uh, this is a backdrop.
0: Not I'm gonna love you.
1: Now, this is, <laughs> I remember. this is great, because this is what's good to do an in-person interview over a phone interview. <laughs> what are you thinking about? You're, it's taking you somewhere.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about the day that we recorded that song. I, was, uh, I think I had been at my mom's house, and I went to the loft that we lived in, and nobody was there. And I'm like, where's everybody? And they're like, they're at this studio, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they said, you, you should come to the studio, so... I remember I walked in the studio. Larry was sitting behind the console, and he had created that that those hand claps. Yeah, you know, with delays. That was an old old clap machine. And uh, they said, "Bernard, we need you to sing." And and I was thinking, okay. I walked in cold. I had I had been working on this don't make me wait idea but there was no music for it so i remember walking into the studio and <laughs> just started singing and uh it all came out there that's one take yeah wow i wow. wrote it and sang it at the same time and the same thing happened with uh um, with the next single that we had called life is something special i just walked in the studio cold and started singing and bam there it was and I could not leave my house without hearing this record. I mean, it played 24 hours a day. I go to the neighborhood, and the people say they started calling me. Don't make me wait, which bugged the shit out of me yeah, after yeah, a while. Yeah. But
1: you know, that's what it was. It
0: was. Uh, oof.
1: I'm glad we played that because you Magic can economy. you can hear the thread from there of what you're what you're doing now. You mm. know what I mean? Oh yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh yes, and you know it was. Uh, it was the first of its kind. It was the first time. It was the first time uh, uh, that the Lindrum was used.
1: What's that
0: tone? The Lindrum was the first uh, drum machine. Was one of the first drum machines, and they would say, "Oh, this is going to put drummers out of business," and blah 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 blah. And it did for a lot of drummers. You know, it, it did put a lot of drummers out of business. They thought that they couldn't compete with the machine, but it's a machine. And um, after, after that record, it seemed like every other record after that record
1: was using some type of drum machine. You've, you've sang with the Stones on some of the solo projects. Charlie Watts? I've sang with Charlie Watts Ron on, Wood.
0: on three uh, jazz records. I produced two records for Ronnie Wood. Uh, um, slide on this and I Feel Like Playing. I produced those records and wrote. Um, a lot of those songs, and I um, sang on Keith's solo record, Main Offender.
1: What's it like for them? You know them pretty well. When you get them away from the Stones thing and they do their their own their own projects, what, mm-hmm. ch- what changes for them?
0: Well, I guess um, they, they the pace in which they work. Um, I think when uh, when it's Rolling Stones, you know, obviously. Um, Mick and Keith are pretty much in charge of that ship and you know they have a certain way that they work and um you know I remember making the first record with Ronnie Wood um which was it was uh not easy to do you know uh he was a little crazy I was a little crazy but you know I was I was in charge so I I remember having to get him out of bed bring him tea to make him get out of bed and come into that studio the studio was at his house but we made a beautiful record slide on this a beautiful yeah. record
1: yeah beautiful record they said I think it was Mick who said once uh, when they brought you on uh, and I want to talk about where you learned this they talk about your stamina as a vocalist Ooh. where did that come from and it, I think it's just I don't I think it's just a,
0: you know, a really strong work ethic. Um, I I want to be good. I want to be good. I've I've sung a lot, and I've, you know, tried to better myself. Every time I do sing, I try to better myself. Especially, you know, if I'm doing something for someone else, I try to give them what they're what they're asking for. Um, you know. People, especially a lot of singers, can get into bad habits of singing things a certain way. Whenever I hear myself singing something a certain way, I stop it. And I sing it a different way. I'm always trying to perfect myself, not get stuck in a rut. Which is also why I try to I've done so many things. I I've always said i run two things that intimidate me musically i go to them i'm gonna i'm gonna jump two feet in the only thing that could happen is they'll say no i've heard no before
1: yeah Yeah. your talent on your own um and is it is there a line where it's hard to give yourself up uh, in deference to someone else you know what i mean like and and singing background and stuff. You no. do your own thing. Or you- no, let
0: me tell you a story. Uh, oh, yeah,
1: when I first started working with the Rolling Stones, I was working
0: with Tackhead. I had a band Tackhead, mm-hmm. and we were in uh, London. Mick calls. He finds me, Bernard. Can you come to the studio? I'm sure. So I go to the studio. We're working on ideas. This is for Steel Wheels. So he says, Bernard, we have the ideas. Go in and execute it. So I started singing, and I said, you know what? Stop the tape. Mick's like, why? It's going good. It's going good. I said, you know, Mick, I'm happy to do this, but if I do this, it's going to sound like me. I said, you know what? Maybe you, some of the guys, want to come in and sing with me. It got quiet. Ronnie and Keith came in, gave them parts, and we sung it. So it's, it's about it's about the project. It's not about me. Uh-huh. It's never about me. When I'm working with someone, it's not about me. It's about the project. They're the Rolling Stones, not. Rolling Stones and Bernard Fowler. It's the Rolling Stones. I think the worst thing that I could have done was to sing that stuff by myself. That would have been a
1: mistake. Well, that's such a generosity of spirit there. Hey, man. Tell the listeners who all you've worked with. Peach Boys, I mean, off the top of my head, did Peach Boys do stuff with Yoko Ono? No, I did.
0: Oh, you did. Okay. I did stuff with Yoko Ono. Okay, what was that? Uh, I did a Star Piece. Okay. I did the album Star Piece. I did all the backgrounds for Star Piece. Uh, I've worked with Yoko Ono. Okay. I have uh, worked with Motorhead. I, <laughs> I doubled Lemmy's voice for the Gazmatron album. I've worked with. Wait
1: a minute! Don't go over that. Don't roll <laughs> over that. What would you? How did that? How did that happen? How did that happen? <laughs>
0: Uh, Bill Laswell called me and said, Bernard, come to the studio. Okay, I go to the studio. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck,
1: motorhead. <laughs> He's you, like, you, 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 you knew about them? Yeah, of yeah, course.
0: Right, yeah. Of course. And he says, I want you to double those vocals. Lemmy was not there. Yeah. He said, I want you to double those vocals. I said, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I went and I doubled the vocals. And, you know, sang the background stuff. Um, Ozzy Osbourne I've done Ozzy Osbourne oh I've got to say this there's a there's a girl who's a guitar tech for Ronnie Wood and she loves Alice Cooper and she was talking about this duet with Alice Cooper and Ozzy Osbourne let me correct you that is not Alice Cooper and Ozzy Osbourne that's Alice Cooper and Bernard Fowler I was doing Along Came a Spider, that album of Alice. Uh Alice wanted to do this duet with Ozzy. Sharon gave him a problem. So he's bummed out. I said, Alice, I'll do it. And he said, oh, Bernard, you know, bless your heart, but, you know. I said, well, let me just try it. So I went in the bathroom. Uh, Danny Saber was producing this record. So I went into the bathroom. I put some tissue in my nose. I went back in front of the mic I said, "Roll the tape. And I sang the duet. And Alice looked at me and said, oh, shit, how did you do that? And then the next thing I know, people are talking about this duet. with. I, I, this, I No, 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 no. So anyway, I've done Philip Glass. Yeah, right. I've done Ryuichi Sakamoto, Herbie Hancock. I, uh... I've done John Lydon, Public Image Limited, which is you know a record that I'm really proud of because I was supposed to be John Lydon's vocal coach uh-huh. for the Public Pill record album. There was album, album, cassette, CD. I did all the you know vocal work for that album, other than John. So i
1: What have you taken away from all that? Do you take a little bit of the, everybody? everybody the, bit? Yeah, that right.
0: everybody that you work with. This I've always said it. Everybody that you work with. You leave there with a little bit uh-huh. of it. It becomes a part of you, you know, and when you're in different music situations and you need you need you, you have to be able to call on things to deliver certain feels, certain texture, you know, texture really important. You can't always just sing the way you sing. You have to sing the way the music is telling you it's telling you. I need this texture, I need that texture, I need it soft, I need it hard, I need it rough. And you have to be able to bend. You have to be able to sing it straight. Or you have to use... uh, You have to
1: be able to do all of that. So I pride myself on that. Good for you. You should have your own. You should have your own radio show. Mm. <laughs> From you're, your you're, lips, you're pretty, you're pretty busy. Your <laughs> lips to God's ears. One day, maybe. <laughs> so June twenty second. That's a Saturday night. Boy, how many people are going to be on stage? You're going to have a, quite an entourage. Oh man,
0: Tim. I told Tim. Uh, you know, I told Tim. Well, we got an extra perc- extra two percussion players. He wrote back. Oh no, B. We're going to have an orchestra. I'm like, yeah. Go big or go home.
1: Martyrs. 3855 North Lincoln Avenue. That's at 830 on this Saturday night, a night That'd off. be something to see for sure. Right, really looking forward to it. Thanks so much. I'm going to have you uh, set up one more song. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, last time you were in Chicago was with the David Bowie tour. Mm. So talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to send you off with um, All the Way Down because I hear a little under pressure here. But, yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know,
0: um, um, how my um, you know, introduction into that whole Bowie thing was Three years ago, Earl Slick called me. Mm -hmm. Bernard, the anniversary for Station to Station is coming up. It just happened to be my favorite Bowie record. And he said, I want to tour it. He said, would you sing? I'm like, absolutely. So we're talking, and then he called me one day, and I said, Earl, I got to ask you. Does David know about this? He said, I knew you were going to ask. I knew you were going to ask me about that. He said, yes, I told him. He said, let me tell you what happened with David. He said... I told David what I was going to do, and David said, well, who are you going to have sing? He said, well, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to ask Bernard Fowler to do it. And he, David said, "Earl, that's a good choice. He said, for a second, I thought you were going to have a skinny white guy doing Bowie <laughs> <laughs> So we started, you know, to prepare for the tour, and just before we started, David passed away. Yeah. So, you know, it was an honor to be there at that time, and... I was also really happy of the, um, happy that we didn't jump on the Bowie bandwagon. He was alive when we booked that tour. Yeah. And uh, after that, Mike Garson was doing stuff, and it became this Illuminati tour with Carmine Rojas, Earl Slick, Mike Garson, myself, and some
1: others. So that's how that happened. Well, thanks so much for coming to see us. Dave, thank you so much for having me. And do um, you want to set up um, All the Way Down? Just, uh, just uh, explain this song. And we'll all let you go. the
0: way, all the way
1: down. She went
0: all the way, all the way down. The Rolling Stones, All the Way Down. Done by Bernard Fowler. And you're listening to Inside Out. Yeah, a garage Close my eyes. How the years rush on by. Birthdays, kids, and suicides.